trying to disguise yourself as a worker bee. That's you trying to blend in with hive. But you're not a worker bee. You're a renegade killer bee. Killer bee. Killer bee. Viceberg Slim. I will chop your heads off! Welcome to In Broad Daylight, a solo podcast with your host, Adam Todd Brown. Are helicopters circling above my apartment? That feels like a good time to say, hey, everybody, welcome to In Broad Daylight. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host on this podcast, as always, nobody. It's just me. It's just you. It's just us. We're on this journey together. I don't know if we'll be on this journey as long as we were last week. I was excited to be back doing In Broad Daylight episodes So the episode was really long. It was like an hour. That's crazy. That's such a long time to hear just one person talk with no constructive criticism or feedback whatsoever. I just know I'm recording still, and that's all the confirmation I need to keep going. How is everyone doing? Answer me, all of you. I can't hear you, but like I always say, I can feel you, and it hurts a little bit. So just answer once. What is going on? Nothing, really. There's no sports. The Super Bowl passed in grand fashion, and there hasn't. Now Now it's a, a slow, a long, slow month until March Madness. I mean, there's basketball on. There's college basketball. There's NBA basketball. I've gotten into watching the NBA a little more recently, only because it makes for good background noise. But yeah, I guess I have to start doing comedy again now that there's no sports to watch but on the bright side i only have to do that until like april when baseball starts and then i can go back to just watching sports for my second job that doesn't pay me as opposed to making comedy that (laughs) how sad what's coming up on unpops this week i should tell you that before we get started on the main show the flagship show unpopular opinion baby andy sell Rivers Langley, Randall Maynard, and myself talk about some brands and businesses that we all assumed were dead, but that are still thriving in some sense of the word. It's a really fun episode. Randall has a mental breakdown at the end, trying to relay the handle of his Twitter account. So check for that. What else? On uh, Pretty Scary, a Patreon-exclusive episode of Pretty Scary, me and Caitlin Cut are talking about Priya Seth, which is, uh, I shouldn't say which is, I should say who is, a woman in India who committed a quite gnarly Tinder murder that uh, we, we just stumbled upon researching an episode about crazy Tinder murders. And now the whole episode is about that. And it comes out Friday, Thursday, me, Quincy Johnson, Stuart B. Thompson on a free episode of What in the World are talking about Valentine's Day around the world, baby. And there's a new episode of Heart Shaped Pod this week, plus lots of bonus episodes on the Patreon, patreon.com slash unpops. Had to get that plug in before you shut the podcast off. Let's talk about some news stories, shall we? How about the Green New Deal? Has anyone looked into that at all? 
What I like about the Green New Deal, which is a plan that was proposed by Democrats, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is just great. And you can read, uh, there's a lot of places you can read about it. Here's the good thing about the Green New Deal. It's about six pages long. So rather than just relying on me telling you what's in it, or even worse, taking the word of your president, Donald Jizz Bucket Trump, or the various media outlets out there, you can just go read it yourself and confirm what's in it. One of the articles that I read for this particular episode is on TheHill.com by Tal Axelrod. How about that name? It's called Ocasio-Cortez, Forced to Clarify Green New Deal Details After Rollout. And that's because there was apparently a draft version that got posted online incorrectly, but also a bunch of fake versions that were going around. And I wonder which one it was that Trump read that compelled him to tweet this. I think it is very important for the Democrats to press forward with their Green New Deal. It would be great for the so-called carbon footprint to permanently eliminate all planes, cars, cows, oil, gas, and the military, even if no other country would do the same. Brilliant! How crazy would it be if you were to go pull up the text of the Green New Deal right now, and it did in fact say, no cows. It doesn't. If you can believe that, there were fake versions of this getting circulated, and Trump is referencing one that not only says no more cows, but I think also no more airplanes. And judging from the fake documents, remember the Antifa manual that went around like a year ago? It even had a fucking coffee cup ring on the front cover because, of course, they would have been discussing that in a hipster coffee shop. But that was super duper fake. And there were fake versions of this going around that I hope did just say things like no planes. But you can read the actual version. Find a version that ends in .gov and that will be your full text. If you go to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's Twitter, she tweeted a link to the full text. Her Twitter is really hard to find. It's at AOC. Write it down. Say it to yourself repeatedly so you don't get lost on the way, at AOC. But you can read this thing for yourself. It's very short. And basically, it's what it is, is is a thing Democrats need to get behind, or they need to, all the different factions of the left right now need to get in a room and work out a version of this that they can get behind. Because what it is above everything else is just a gigantic jobs plan. But a jobs plan that is also focused on dealing with climate change and global warming. And there are a ton of details to it, but just some of the things that it promises in its talking points. Achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions through a fair and just transition for all communities and workers. Secure clean air, water, healthy food, and a sustainable environment for generations to come. Create millions of good high-wage jobs that ensure financial prosperity for all Americans. Change the country's power demand so that 100% of it comes from clean, renewable, and zero-emission energy sources. Mitigate and manage 
the long-term adverse health, economic, and other effects of pollution and climate change, restore and protect threatened, endangered, and fragile ecosystems through locally appropriate and science-based projects that enhance biodiversity and support climate resiliency. Easy to understand language like that and more when you read the actual text of the Green New Deal, but it is actually pretty easy to understand. It's just a massive plan to cut carbon emissions and deal with the threats posed by global warming and climate change and to do it in a way that would provide jobs to lots of people in the United States. And this is a thing the Democrats need because I can't stress enough, Trump is going to have a plan for bringing jobs to marginalized communities And it's going to be a very ugly plan that happens at the expense of other marginalized communities. But if he's the only one that has a plan, then that's going to be a huge problem. This is also a plan that would achieve the same things in a more ethical way that might also not result in the earth spontaneously combusting 10 to 12 years from now. So it would be a good thing for people on the left to get behind and support, even if it has to be in some sort of altered version. And of course, that's probably not going to happen. Here's a quote from Nancy Pelosi. That's short for Pelosi. I do know that it's enthusiastic and we welcome all the enthusiasm that's out there. I'm very excited about it all. And I welcome the Green New Deal and any other proposals. That doesn't sound that bad. But that was her follow-up quote after the first thing she said, which was that the Green New Deal, quote, will be one of several or maybe many suggestions that we receive. The Green Dream, or whatever they call it. Nobody knows what it is, but they're for it, right? That sounds like Trump talking. And the left definitely doesn't need that kind of shit. I don't know what other proposal is going to come her way, but it needs to be something that fucking helps people who aren't getting helped and who have been ignored by politicians at the highest levels for a long, long time. That is how Trump won in 2016, along with a massive fake news campaign carried out by Russia and, you know, all the other things. The Electoral College, which needs to be thrown in an incinerator somewhere, that helped him win for sure. But also, he... uh. He spoke to the coal miners. Story resonated with them. Meanwhile, we were all surprised there are still coal miners in the United States. But I'm sure we won't see a repeat of that in 2020. And maybe we won't. I feel like the the thing with the Green New Deal is it's going to come down to really hoping that high-profile politicians on the left don't just write this off as socialism and play scare tactics to try and win the nomination that way, which already feels like it might happen. But I also feel like the 2020 election is going to come down to, hey, you all need jobs. We have two competing plans to fix it. Do you want to fix the environment, fix our infrastructure, and potentially keep the world intact for future generations? Or do we want to just deport a bunch of immigrants and burn this motherfucker down? I think those are going to be the competing philosophies here. And I don't know. I hope Democrats are good at selling science because it's what we're going to need in 2020. On a lighter 
global warming related note. Here's the name of this article. Russian Arctic Islands sound emergency over invasion by polar bears. That was a bird flying away from a polar bear because those things will get you. This article is on NDTV.com. That's N as in Nancy, D as in D, T as in television, V as in television, dot com by some unnamed writer, possibly a polar bear. Who knows? But this is happening in Russia's northeastern Novaya Zemlya archipelago. You know the one. Population of around 3,000 people, which that's not a lot. A motivated team of polar bears could probably wipe out that entire town in a matter of months. And you might think, well, why? Well, you just go shoot them then. then. Is that, that's what you do. No, you can't. In Russia, they, they take shooting polar bears very seriously. You can shoot a journalist with fewer ramifications in Russia than you can a polar bear. You have to get government permission to shoot a polar bear, even when they're showing up and eating your family and friends, because polar bears are going to be polar bears, and you cannot hold them accountable for that, especially when global warming has been fucking with their shit which is the science term for it, for a long time. I used to send out these Christmas cards that I got from The Onion, theonion.com. You've heard of it. They sold these Christmas cards that said, Merry Next to Last Christmas, and it was just a polar bear floating on a broken-off piece of glacier in the middle of the water. And that was like 10 years ago, and I don't think things have gotten better since. So now the polar bears are getting really... Desperate. I talked about a similar thing on an Unpops Everyday episode a while back. We talked about it a bunch, but that was T1, the Cologne Tigress, who was a tiger who for about six months had been, or, or no, it was for two years, had been stalking this one particular town in India and fucking eating people. She killed something like 12 or 13 people over a two-year span. And that's happening at a pretty alarming rate in India because not just global warming, which is forcing animals into other areas to look for food as the country, as the, the world gets hotter and their other food sources die from the heat. So then they have to go eat innocent Indian villagers. But also there's that. We're putting up villages and towns and Starbucks and nail places where animals used to live. And eventually the animals are going to take that shit back. But anyway, back to Russia. I mean, I don't know if they'll take it back. Like, that's, I think, the plot of a horror movie. But you never know. It could happen. It's happening here in Russia. The residents of Novaya Zemlya have appealed for help to tackle a mass invasion of polar bears into inhabited areas. Russian authorities have so far refused permission to shoot the bears, but are sending a commission to investigate the situation and have not ruled out a cull. And the cause of this is absolutely global warming. Polar bears, when the ice melts, it forces them to spend more time on land. They compete for food. They realize, hey, there's food here. We can eat these people. And that's what they do, because bears are going to be bears. You can't hunt them in Russia because they're recognized as an endangered species. Since December, 52 polar bears have regularly visited the archipelago's main settlement, Belushia Guba, with some displaying aggressive behavior. This included attacks on people and entering residential homes and public 
buildings. It was the kind of small archipelago where no one even bothered locking their doors. And then these fucking polar bears showed up. And locking your door probably won't even help. I assume they can just break that thing down. There are constantly six to ten bears inside the settlement, according to some accounts. People are scared. They're afraid to leave their homes. Parents are frightened to let their children go to schools and kindergartens. I've been on Novaya Zemlya since 1983, and there's never been such a mass invasion of polar bears. That's Gigantsha Musin, head of the local government administration. Local officials complain that measures to scare off the polar bears, such as vehicle and dog patrols, good puppies, have not been effective because the polar bears feel secure there now, and they don't react. They know you're just driving a car past to try and scare them. And meanwhile... They're going to go eat one of your children. They should catch these bears talking shit about Putin on video and upload it to WhatsApp or whatever version of WhatsApp is prominent in Russia and see if those bears don't get, I mean, they'll probably get poisoned or something. It might be a slow death and it might just maim them and they might come back angrier and full of poison. But uh, I would suggest that. I would plant a story about these bears speaking out against the Russian government and see if maybe that doesn't take care of the problem. You're welcome, Novaya Zemlya. Problem solved. All right, let's continue this time race against the edible I took before I started recording this. What is killing birds on the shorelines of the Netherlands? Yes, the Netherlands have shorelines. They have water there. You ignorant American scum. This is from an article called 20,000 Birds Just Starved to Death Off the Dutch Coast and No One Knows Why by Sarah Chodosh on popsci.com. That's P-O-P-S-C-I.com, short for popular science. And uh, this is a crazy story. There are thousands of birds that have been washing onto the shorelines of the Netherlands for about a month now, but it could be longer than that, which is another weird detail here. They're not even sure exactly how long it's been happening because birds wash ashore all the time, and it it takes a whole bunch of them before you, you realize it. So whatever's happening here could have been happening for a while. This whole thing is a bit of an enigma. That is a quote from Mardik Leopold, a biologist at Wageningen. <laughs> Come on. Wageningen University studies the ecology of the North and Wadden Seas. Is Wadden Dutch for South? I bet it's not. I bet they have a sea called the North Sea and the Wadden Sea. Dummy. Leopold has been spearheading the efforts to figure out exactly why roughly 20,000 guillemot have died off the coast of the Netherlands. You know what a guillemot is. It's a bird. That's an estimated 10,000 on beaches plus another 10,000 that are likely still at sea. What they do know is that this started somewhere around the beginning of 2019, and it was just a, a large number of birds washing on shore, dead. And from there, it seemed to spread to Rotterdam and into Zeeland, Z-E-E-L-A-N-D. But the, the even crazier part, it stops at the Dutch border. This doesn't carry over into Belgium or Germany or... Any of the other places that this article assures me are close to the Netherlands, it, it stops, which is very strange. And even stranger is these birds aren't washing ashore dead after having all eaten something or getting covered in some material. They are starving to death. They're emaciated. They have not eaten 
you know, all the hallmark signs of starving to death. Which, you're birds, you can go wherever you want, baby. You got the best superpower of all, the superpower of flight. Go find yourself some food. So far, veterinary pathologists have autopsied around 16 birds. None of them had any fat left on them. They were all emaciated, starved to death. There is an actual term for when a bunch of birds die in this manner without any apparent explanation. You ready? It's pretty great. It's called a seabird wreck. And these seabirds did indeed get wrecked by some unknown force that has caused them to no longer eat. And usually prolonged bad weather is the culprit. Birds, even though they can fly, if wind is sustained for long enough over a long enough period of days, it wears them down and they tend to die like good boys and girls flying through the sky. But they looked into the weather recently and it hasn't been any different than, say, last year when 20,000 dead birds did not wash ashore, starve to death in the Netherlands. And Again, it's not like it's just going to be windy in the Netherlands and not a little windy in Belgium and Germany. And, you know, the birds would, there's, the shit would spread beyond the Netherlands if it wasn't aliens, is what I'm saying. They don't point to aliens in this article, but I think we all know aliens. Simplest explanation every time. Hey, who wants a gun? I'm not offering you a gun. That is just my smooth segue into the next story. The segue brought to you by Segway. Segway, when you need a segue, segue, baby. Here's the name of the article. Illinois may make gun buyers show their social media accounts to police to get a gun license on CNN.com by Ryan Pryor. Is this a good idea? Is everyone good with this? I have no desire to buy a gun so I'm wielding my non-gun privilege to say I don't really have a dog in this fight. But this is a bill that's being put forth by Illinois State Representative Daniel Didich. Didich? D-I-D-E-C-H. Didich. Didich. Didich! He told CNN that the Parkland kids played a big role in inspiring him to pursue a new measure that would require people to disclose all of their social media profile handles before being allowed to buy a gun. Here's the thing. How do you know? How would you know they're giving up all of their social media handles and not just the ones that don't feature a bunch of I'm going to go kill whatever group you decide to target with your gun violence? Underline it. Leave it blank. Mad libs it. But how do you know they're going to turn them all over? Is my immediate question right there like i might turn over my twitter but then you would miss all of the insane stuff that goes up on the unpops twitter have you not are you not following the unpops twitter oh you should go do it it's great uh and it's not really insane you can just keep up with all the podcasts we put out but uh this is actually a slightly less extreme version of a similar bill proposed in new york that one requires potential gun buyers to give up their social media handles and their passwords, and the police get to look at your browsing history. That's pretty intense. But also, you could just not buy a gun. But this bill in Illinois would require that police conduct a search of purchasers' social media accounts available to the public to determine if there is any information that would disqualify the person from obtaining or requiring revocation of a currently valid firearm owner's identification card. 
this is some bullshit. Who has their social media accounts set to public? Because that's what they're saying is, what I mean, I guess your Twitter, but even then you can set your Twitter to private and hand it over and then it's not available. And then do you get a gun or do you have to make your social media accounts public to get a gun? I got questions, Illinois. Rebecca Glenberg, a senior staff attorney for the ACLU of Illinois, she told CNN the law was part of a, quote, growing trend of authorities monitoring social media accounts. Whether a human or a computer does it, neither is free of bias. It seems much more likely to end in profiling of people rather than catching a possible school shooter. But here's the thing. She might be wrong. This is all directly from the CNN article. It's a a word-for-word quote, and I think they bring up an interesting point. Last month, the University of Chicago Crime Lab released a safety pilot study it conducted with Chicago public schools. That study used social media monitoring to identify at-risk students and recommended them to intervention programs. The school system's Office of Safety and Security monitored students through random keyword searches of public social media accounts. If they flagged a threat, they would refer it to the Chicago Police Department's gang school safety team. The study's analysis suggested that students attending high schools in the program experienced almost 30% fewer shooting victimizations relative to students who attended comparison group schools. And that, I bring it up all the time, but at one point, Boston... Massachusetts, short for Massachusetts, saves me time when I talk. They had a problem with youth homicide and presumably with even less help from social media because this was a few years back. They, instead of viewing youth homicide as a policing problem, they viewed it more as an outreach problem, much like Chicago is mentioning doing here, where they would identify kids who were at risk of falling into the trappings of youth homicide And they would just go out and talk to them and, you know, intervene in their lives, hopefully in a a positive way. And it had a dramatic impact on youth homicide in Boston. Granted, they eventually just abandoned the program because it's what we do in this country. But while it was in place, it worked really well. And I think what the CNN article mentions about what is happening in schools could work really well. I don't think checking someone's public Facebook post before they buy a gun is going to be that big of a deal, especially if you make a really big deal about it being a law and let everyone know ahead of time, hey, we're going to be checking your public Facebook page and your public tweets. Well, I'll just make my tweets private and my Facebook page private, and then you can't look at it. But I, I do envision this being a thing that happens in a lot of other states, because it's just the kind of symbolic bullshit that politicians like to do in the name of being tough on guns, when we really should probably just stop selling guns in this country. I I feel like we're ready for that. Should we go out and seize all the guns we have right now? We can talk about it. But in the meantime, just stop selling them. Just fucking tell Walmart they can't sell rifles. Tell Gun World which is here in Burbank. There are so many gun stores in Burbank. My God. And by that, I mean like three or four that I've seen. But still, that's a lot of gun stores for this close of an area. We don't need all those guns. We're how Mexico gets their guns. There's like one place in Mexico where you can buy a gun. Legally, that is. 
and you have to travel there, and you have to have a good excuse, and you have to pay a lot of money for it. But here, you can get a gun fucking anywhere. I feel like we could start there in terms of the problem. Like, guns don't have to be as readily available as they are, but it's in the Constitution. So yes, they do, apparently. That said, lots of states are passing gun seizure laws now. Don't worry, right-wing gun enthusiasts who are listening to this. I know you're out there. Relax, because they're just talking about seizing guns from people who have been profiled and seem like they might be ready to start some shit. You can read about this on APNews.com by Ryan Foley. The article's called Gun Seizure Laws Grow in Popularity Since Parkland Shooting. Huh. I wonder why that was. But uh, speaking of Parkland, since that shooting, a bunch of states have passed laws making it easier to take guns away from people who may be suicidal or seem like they're on the verge of committing violence against others. Courts are issuing an unprecedented number of seizure orders across the country. Supporters say it's one of the most effective tools of all when it comes to curtailing mass shootings and suicides. Gun advocates, on the other hand, say laws like this undermine their constitutional rights. Look, man, we didn't nail it when we wrote the Constitution. There have been things we've needed to change since then. There are things about it that need to change now. The 13th Amendment, for example would be a good thing to abolish. You know, the one that allows slavery to continue, but as long as it's only happening in prisons. Yeah, that one. That's in the Constitution, too. And you should be able to buy guns the way you can buy candy is indeed in the Constitution right now. But that doesn't mean it should be. And maybe your constitutional rights in that way do need to be undermined a little bit for the greater good. Sorry, Jim. Nine states so far have passed laws over the past year allowing police or household members to seek court orders requiring people deemed threatening to temporarily surrender their guns, bringing the total to 14 states that have laws like this in place. Several more are likely to follow in the months ahead. More than 1,700 orders allowing guns to be seized for weeks, months, or up to a year were issued in 2018 by the courts after they determined the individuals were a threat to themselves or others, according to data from several states obtained by the Associated Press. The actual number is probably higher because it didn't include California. And we got some guns here, so probably way higher. Florida passed a red flag law after the Parkland shooting. New York, Delaware, Illinois, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Rhode Island, and Vermont have have passed similar laws since then. California, Connecticut, Indiana, Oregon, and Washington already had similar laws. Several states are debating them this year. And here's the thing. You used to be able to just say, hey, that person is a threat, and I think they're a problem. Can you take them away and lock them up against their will for a few days? And we got rid of a lot of that. There's a pretty high threshold for being able to do that now. Do you want to go back to that? Or do you want us to just be able to take your guns when you act up on the internet? Because something's got to give, man. We can't just keep letting insane people shoot up crowds of people with guns. That is a problem. And if you don't recognize that, you're part of the problem. And so I think it's good that laws like this are being passed. I hope it becomes an all 50 states thing 
Connecticut has the nation's longest standing red flag law, which went into effect in 1999 after a mass shooting at the state lottery office. One study found that the Connecticut law reduced gun suicides by more than 10% in recent years, and that a similar law in Indiana led to a 7.5% drop. A drop is a drop. If it works, it works. Army veteran Rico Giron testified that people could see their guns seized over grudges between family members or neighbors. This is a quote from him. It's incredibly dangerous because it opens the door for vindictiveness and revenge. You know what else opens the door for vindictiveness and revenge? Guns. Lots and lots of guns in the hands of people with grudges. And they go out and settle those scores with guns. So I think I will take the much lesser risk of vindictiveness over guns being seized for maybe just a day because this is a thing you go in front of a judge and can can argue away. I'm I'm better with the gun-related vindictiveness and revenge in this world being carried out in that manner as opposed to it ending in actual shootings of innocent people in public. So, sorry, Rico. Thank you for your service, but... I think we need to take guns when people seem like they're going to start shooting motherfuckers. Oh, hey, also, on a similar note, my fave band, The Coat Hangers, just released a song called F the NRA. And here's a secret. I think that F stands for fuck. It's a really good song. Go check it out. I don't know how you're going to find it. Check their Twitter, at The Coat Hangers. You can spell it. And hey, since we're talking about public emergencies, how about the fact that Arizona is declaring porn a public health crisis? That's the name of the article. Arizona considers declaring porn a public health crisis by Morgan Gestalter, the big homie on the hill.com. A Republican state lawmaker in Arizona has introduced a resolution that would declare pornography a public health crisis. It was introduced by state rep Michelle Udall, a Republican, of course. It passed through the Arizona House Committee on Health and Human Services on Thursday. That's the first hurdle in its path to a full vote. It's just a symbolic measure. There's no legal effect, but it states that porn perpetuates a sexually toxic environment that damages all areas of our society, like the tobacco industry. The pornography industry has created a public health crisis. Pornography is used pervasively, even by minors. It's Michelle Udall talking again. And it also states that children being exposed to widely available porn on the internet can lead to low self-esteem, eating disorders and an increase in problematic sexual activity at ever younger ages. And it also says excessive access to porn can lead to extreme or violent sexual behaviors. Similar measures have been passed in 11 states, declaring porn a public health crisis, according to the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Is this necessary? Because this feels like something that's just going to end up in some sort of crackdown on sex workers. And man, if there is one group that doesn't need more crackdowns, it's immigrants, but also sex workers. To say that American society does not value them as people is a bit of an understatement. That's why serial killers kill sex workers, because they are seen as disposable by a lot of people in this world. And I don't know, this bullshit resolution to call porn a health crisis just feels like a furthering of that at a time when I feel like we have bigger fish to fry. I know we have enough resources. We can tackle multiple problems at once. 
But don't we have better shit to do than this? Fucking, fucking leave the fucking alone. Let people fuck on camera for money and let people watch it. There's so many things people could watch that make them do bad things. Remember I mentioned that edible from earlier? It's kicking in a little bit. But yeah, I thought it was really interesting that there are 11 other states that have declared porn a public health crisis. That that does feel like it's building towards something very unpleasant. And hey, speaking of things that are building up to something unpleasant, what the hell is China doing in Argentina? That's what I want to know. You can read about this on foreignpolicy.com in an article by Laura Seligman called U.S. Military Warns of Threat from Chinese-Run Space Station in Argentina. Senior U.S. defense officials are concerned that the Chinese military can monitor and potentially target U.S. and allied satellites from a new deep space ground station in the Western Hemisphere located in the deserts of Patagonia, which you know is in Argentina. I knew that before I read this article. You knew that before I told you. We're knowledgeable Americans who know where shit is. In Patagonia, obviously, the deserts. It's the one with all the deserts in Argentina. And U.S. military and intelligence officials have been watching the development of this particular facility since its inception. It features a powerful 16-story antenna, and it's located on a 200-hectare compound in the Nequian province, surrounded by an 8-foot barbed wire fence. What are you up to, China? It operates with little oversight from Argentine authorities, located more than six hours from the nearest Argentinian government building. That's a long drive. Reportedly began operations in April 2018. China insists that the aim of this facility is just peaceful space exploration. And that's how they were able to land on the dark side of the moon recently. If that happened, study up on your conspiracy theories. Of course, people are claiming that was faked. And who knows? Maybe it was. Maybe they faked a landing on the dark side of the moon so they would have a cover story for why they just built a 16-story antenna in the middle of uh, Patagonia, of course, which is in Argentina. Worth noting here, the U.S. has antennas like this all around the world. And we're concerned that this could be used for another purpose, which is collecting information on the position and activity of U.S. military satellites, which I think kind of implies that that's what we're using ours for is to gain information about other countries' satellites. And that's obviously why we're worried about this one. So not sure if I'm faulting China too much for this, if, if that is the aim. But according to the U.S. Air Force's National Air and Space Intelligence Center, both China and Russia have multiple ways of taking out or disabling U.S. and allied civil and military satellites China has military units that have already begun training with anti-satellite missiles, like the one used in a 2007 test to destroy a Chinese weather satellite. In addition to anti-satellite missiles, both nations have, have capabilities to jam U.S. and allied satellites, such as the ones that control unmanned U.S. military aircraft, according to the report. So what, what's being argued here is that because we've had this agreement in place for years now that people always bring up when they laugh off the idea of Space Force 
which is absolutely a thing we need, but we'll talk about it in a second. And what they talk about is that we signed, we already signed an agreement saying that we wouldn't have any weapons in space, and China and Russia signed it too. So why, why are we even worried about this? The way they are abiding by that agreement is to say, well, we don't have any weapons in space that could kill you, but we do have weapons that could destroy your satellites and your communications systems. And we presumably have been abiding by this agreement without building those weapons that can take out their satellites and communication systems. And we need to build that shit. We need to get it in the fucking sky so when they start shooting at our satellites, we can shoot back. And I don't know, man, maybe it will be Casper Van Dien in a fucking helmet zipping around space firing lasers at satellites. I don't give a fuck, but it's a thing we need to invest in and take care of if we are going to successfully fight wars in the future, which it feels like we might fight a few of those if this current administration stays in power long enough. And so, yeah, I guess we need Space Force. A Space Force. Does it help if you call it A Space Force instead of saying Space Force? Because I know people are hung up on the name, but I don't know what else you want to call it. We call the Air Force the Air Force. And an Air Force in space would presumably be called a Space Force. But uh, just in case everything goes haywire and Space Force doesn't happen and we lose wars and we have to take refuge, if you got the money, you can buy an underground bunker that just went on sale in Las Vegas. There's an article called Looking for a Doomsday Bunker. This one is for sale in Vegas for $18 million. On sacramento.cbslocal.com, it's built 26 feet underground. Have you seen the Brendan Fraser movie Blast from the Past? It very literally looks like the underground bunker he lived in with Christopher Walken. It is 26 feet underground. There's a lawn. There's a pool. There's trees. There are landscape murals. There is a fake sky that mimics day and night, complete with constellations. You have to go out to this article and look at this fucking underground bunker. It's just went on sale for $18 million. 14,620 square feet. So some shit jumps off. You're going to have a lot of room for activities while you wait for the earth to be inhabitable again. And that's great. That's what you want. I love that they advertise this as just two miles away from the Las Vegas Strip. As if you're going to have any desire to visit the las vegas strip if you're living in an underground bunker because presumably things have gone wrong i don't think you would buy this for your main home would you i guess it depends on how well that fake sky works actually on second thought i would buy this i would absolutely buy this for my main home it has an address so i'm guessing there's parking how funny would it be if there's only above ground street parking that would be they didn't think to build a garage into this thing that would be amazing but The listing also says it's designed to survive cataclysmic events in comfort. Yeah, it is. So if that one's 18 million, I don't I don't know. I feel like my new goal in life has to be has become to be underground bunker rich. I tweeted once that I just want to be Denver Airport bunker rich, which I think that's probably going to be a pretty exclusive neighborhood when it comes to underground apocalypse bunkers where the Illuminati is going to be and all the Freemasons and, you know, The Rock, people like that. I'm going to have to find, I think something off the Vegas Strip sounds just right for me. Maybe a little smaller because 18 mil, that's a big goal to work toward before the world blows up. 
especially if that happens like two, three years from now, which could totally be the case. But hey, maybe it'll be fine, and I'll just have an underground man cave that I paid $18 million for. So that is our episode. I told you this would be relatively shorter than last week. I wouldn't lie to you, baby. Don't forget patreon.com slash unpops. You can get this podcast completely ad-free, along with ad-free episodes of What in the World and Good Luck America. It's the only place to get new episodes of Pretty Scary and Conspiracy the Show. And of course, Unpopular Opinion, we do a bonus episode called Unpops Customer Service, where I answer your questions, complaints, and concerns. We do an outtakes episode every week. You get so much for so little. $5 a month. Go subscribe. And February 23rd, come out to the Hollywood Hotel, 9 p.m., Unpops, stand-up show featuring the likes of Alex Schmidt, Tom Goss from the Mean Boys podcast, Tom Ryman from Best Bad Movie Ever and Gamefully Unemployed, me, Quincy Johnson, Chris Crittenden, Hannah Michaels, and more comics to be announced soon. Also, you can watch it via live stream if you subscribe to patreon at the 20 dollar level and that money helps us pay the comics ain't that sweet so that's that's our episode whose episode our episode mine and yours this has been a special hour that we shared just between us no one else is in the room it's just me it's just you all right let's get the fuck out of here adam say goodbye 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 everybody we love you <laughs>